Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. John and Julia, thank you very much. And yes, it does. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Brian. And once again, for Scott, onward and upward. Stocks hitting new record highs again. And while the focus, of course, has been on what they just talked about on Tech Check, Apple, Alphabet, and the overall tech trade, there is one other group making a rather stealth move higher. It is now the best performing sector this week and this year, taking over financials and tech. Who is it? Well, we're going to let you know, of course, and trade around it. And we've got a great group to get you through all of it today. Tiffany McGee, Digus Wright, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, and Pete Nigerian, who is co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Full lineup here. All right. Get to you all in just a minute. But first, let's get a check on the markets right now. Look at that. Green, 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 green. The S&P 500 and NASDAQ hitting new all-time highs. Here's a little math for you. When you're at a record and you go up even one point, you get a new record. The jobs number coming in a little bit better than expected, all, of course, ahead of the monthly payroll number, which the Fed will be watching very closely. But we are up between three and a half a percent. But look at small caps go. We'll get to more on that in a bit. The Russell 2000 up a full one percent. It seems to have caught a little bit of fire lately. All right, a lot to get through in the next 60 minutes or so. But we begin, like we did yesterday, with some breaking buy news, new moves by our investment committee. And let's plug in. Because, Josh, you are moving into the EV space. Uh, I, I guess I, I hadn't thought about it as a sector bet, but um, I, I've been following ChargePoint Holdings for, for quite a while. And uh, I, I hadn't really listened to a, a conference call from the company yet. I think this is only their second one since being despacked or maybe their third. But I really liked what I heard on the call. And although the stock was up, uh, this morning, I bought it anyway. I don't need to pay the lowest price, um, but it's sort of a trade for now. It may turn into an investment. I don't have a lot of it. Uh, I'm going to use 20 as as uh, as my stop loss. If it breaks back below 20, I'm wrong. Uh, but I think that's pretty solid support. If you look back to uh, April, that seems to be where the buyers have come in. They beat on they beat on uh, revenue. Revenue is the only thing that matters. This is a company that sees themselves as being the enabler of the EV revolution uh, in terms of charging stations, like over 100,000 places that people, corporations, et cetera, can charge their vehicles. So I don't really want to bet on like Volkswagen versus Tesla versus Benz. To me, that's boring. This is really exciting. The company that's building out the infrastructure. By 2030, it's estimated that uh, something like 30% of all light vehicles sold uh, will be electric vehicles. Even if that's overstated, let's say directionally it's right, and it's only 20% or 15%, that's going to mean a lot of charging stations and a lot of needed infrastructure. And to me, this was one of the better uh, pure plays 
to to capture that. So I'm in the stock. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still learning about it. So I don't want anyone to just like blindly follow me in. Please do your own research and uh, and please think about whether or not it makes sense for your own portfolio. Just because it makes sense for me, it doesn't necessarily make sense for you. Well, it's, it's a good point. You got 20 as a stop loss. Stock's up 10%. Very quickly, though, Josh, I guess to maybe raise a little money, or at least as part of the other side of the trade, Bristol-Myers, you sold it. How come? Uh, I bought it on technicals, and it was breaking out, and, and, it, and it didn't work. So uh, I'm selling it probably a buck or so lower than, than where I bought it. And when you're buying things on technicals, you can't get overly invested in, in stories. Um, you, you bought it for a reason. The reason is no longer uh, valid. Yeah. You get out. It doesn't mean the stock can't go up. It just means that the particular trade that I had on didn't work, and that's okay. It happens all the time. We don't play this game for batting yeah. average. Well, their logo works because it's like uh, Twitter nonsense. Their logo it's makes about, sense. It's a hand. Yeah, it's about what you're w- waving goodbye to, yeah, it's a, to Bristol Myers. I, <laughs> I think. I think the the key thing is. The, the way this game is played well, and, and Pete and John will, talk, will explain this to you, like many of the people we have on the show, yeah. Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, they understand this. It's not batting average, how, how many things I'm right about, how many things I'm wrong about. It's how much do you make when you're right, and how much do you lose when you're wrong. And if your process doesn't allow for you to buy things and then change your mind or be wrong, then you're not seriously uh, a market participant. You're, you're an amateur. So... Uh, you know, trades, trades you put on, the reason goes away. You have to be a grown-up and say, okay, I got this one wrong, or things have changed and move on. So that's, that's where I am with Bristol Myers. Okay. Well, let, let us move on because, Pete, let's talk about some of your – got a lot of investment committee moves today. I love starting off the show like this like we did yesterday. You're kind of similar. Calls on Blink Charging. Yeah. Yeah, Blink Charging, that one was interesting to me. That's charging equipment and something that Josh was just alluding to just now as he was talking about the trades that he was doing. These are trades, Sully. I want to make that very clear. These are option trades that we're talking about right now. Workhorse is another one, another one where it's an option trade. So, you know, if you're wrong, Josh is 100% right. We talk about this all the time. It's all about discipline. It's about knowing when you're wrong, you've got to get rid of it. And when, you're, when it's working for you, you've got to trim into it anyway. And then eventually you have to decide, at what point am I going to get out of this trade? But none of these are stocks for me. They're all call uh, trading that I'm seeing. But we're seeing so much in the EV space right now, Brian. Over the last two or three sessions, we have seen... Neo and Tesla. I mean, you could go through the entire group practically, and I could say, "Oh yeah, well we saw, we, we did see that. We saw it in Alba, Lordstown. Alba we saw it. you name ALB. it. It seems, yep, yep. That's another one. Nikola is another one. So we are New seeing it across today. the board. So that actually that says something even more. It says that there is a lot going on in this particular space, and it's a matter of I think having to spread across multiple different aspects of the EV world. So. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I do like the battery side of it that we're talking about right now, and I think that that creates a lot of great opportunities, Sully. But at the same time, you're buying calls in Energy Transfer, a company that moves dinosaur juice through pipelines to, to fuel cars with gas. I love it. You're hedging you are, your auto you bets. 100%. <clears throat> Right. Well, you know what? I don't even I don't look at that as hedging. I'm just looking at the energy space. You know, everybody gave it gave up for it. Right. It was absolutely done. Oil was thirty eight bucks back in November. Where is it now? Well, it went over 70 today. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of, you know what? Oftentimes it's like the old saying, you know, about the death being this and that. 
It's yeah. just crazy to me. So I think there are always opportunities out there, Sully, whether that means an energy transfer. I have energy exposure in the options world. I have so many different positions that are exposed right now, and this is just adding to that. I still own my core group as well with KMI, sort of boring, but it's a, but it's a great company. And also with Chevron, another one. Not, all as, not as exciting, but a great company. And I think that they can do even better than they have going forward. But it's, it's, it's just a play yeah. on energy because so many were saying it was wrong and you don't want to be there. Yeah. They were wrong and you do want to be there. Well, energy demand, oil and gas demand is only going up as well. U.S. production is actually going down. We're importing more from Russia than we ever had before. Still a fossil fuel world right now. Let's let's find out. All right, Tiffany, uh, let's change gears because your buys are more in the, the software space. You got a crowd strike, good earnings the other night as well. The stock took a little bit of a hit or a big hit. And service now, why those two? Yeah, so for CrowdStrike, it really comes down to a demand story for me, right? So uh, they were just added to the NASDAQ 100, as you mentioned, uh, the reported Q2 earnings. So revenue was over $337 million, up 70% uh, from the year before. Uh, I also like their revenue, their net revenue retention, over 120%, which is pretty impressive. Their operating margins are, were uh, above expectations, and this is really driven by increased demand. So again, CrowdStrike, it's a demand story for me. Um, I'll just move into service now. So they had a great quarter, right? Um, so subscription, uh, subscription revenue growth is up 31% year over year. Uh, again, here's another case for demand. So demand on workflow and workflow kind of automation. And also low-code, no-code, right? So it, that kind of makes it easy um, for, for companies to kind of get in, kind of utilize uh, um, the software space. And so that's, we're seeing that increase um, in those two, two areas industry-wide. And so ServiceNow makes it really, really easy for companies to um, automate yeah. their workflow. So I believe they can triple their subscription revenue, which is a, a really key thing. Um, and if they can do that, that puts them at $15 billion in revenue, uh, which is like about, with about 38% margins. And if they can do that, Sully, they're in Adobe territory, which just hit a new high today. Wow. And that, that's pretty good territory to be in there as well. All right. ServiceNow, CrowdStrike. Yeah. We also have the buy on ChargePoint from Josh and the call buying in Blink, Energy Transfer, and Workhorse from Pete as well. Love starting off the show with the moves there. All right, now let's move on, because this is how we actually opened the show. We talked about the new best-performing <laughs> sector this year. It's up 3% in the past week, vaulting it to the top, and now up more than 30% this year. We're actually talking about real estate, particularly real estate investment trust. Jim Labenthal, I know you own at least one of them, Camden, where did this run in real estate come from? I mean, all the talk about Apple, how did the stocks actually move higher? How dare they? <laughs> well, I think, Sully, we've got to bear in mind that the real estate sector is a pretty broad spectrum of different types. Uh, you know, my one play yes. in it is Camden Property Trust. Uh, this is a housing sector uh, play, apartment rentals, particularly in the Sun Belt. So getting away from the coasts where real estate laws are not very helpful for landlords. Um, it's been a darling as, you know, people have, have had to find houses 
in the areas where jobs are being created. But to the and it's been wonderful. I'm going to stick with it. But to the sector overall, I think you have to be careful about painting with too broad of a brush stroke. Look at the office REITs, which had a nice little, uh, you know, sympathy sentiment bounce a few months ago. But if you look at, say, Vornado or SL Green, they are starting to weaken. And I think, you know, if you walk around Midtown Manhattan, the reason is obvious. Or if you just look at the headline news of reopening from companies being pushed back, the good news for office REITs is that leases generally last five, seven, ten years. But the bad news is, as leases come up for renewals, I think a lot of companies are going to be looking at the new hybrid work from home, work in the office model and saying we just don't need as much office space. One last point on this to Midtown Manhattan. There is as much new supply coming on in the next year as there is currently being looked to be sublet uh, by current uh, uh, current tenants. So you've got a real supply demand problem in the office reach yeah. space. Again, that's offset on the apartment side, which is tremendous. Diggis, I'm going to get to you in a second, but I want to go back to Josh for a particular reason, because this kind of combined, and I know you have a lot of exposure there, Josh, but you've kind of combined the worlds because one of ChargePoint's thesis, thesi, whatever, is that if you own a Tesla or another electric car and you're looking to move, you're got to move to an apartment building that has charging facilities. It's one of ChargePoint's selling points. And the point is, we talk about real estate investment trusts, the EVification of things could also change the way we invest around that. Apartments may look good. They certainly may change as well. Stores have done well. What part of REITs in particular do you like? So, I, Sully, I would really think of ChargePoint more like an infrastructure play. In, in Biden's version, in the congressional version of the infrastructure bill, there are varying amounts of money for charging uh, infrastructure. But either way, it's, it's a lot of money, and it's increasingly important. I wouldn't think of it as real estate. Um, I've been screaming about REITs all year, like really since January. Um, they're up 30% year to date, far outpacing the S&P 500. Uh, some of the individual names that are important in the REIT average are up more than 40%. And the reason, what you, you asked, where did this come from? It's not because all of a sudden people are excited about buildings. It's because if you're worried about inflation, historically, the right answer is not go run and hide or buy and sell the stock market every other day. The, the answer is not to churn yourself up. It's to look for the asset classes that historically have had the ability to raise prices and pass those higher prices along to consumers. And if you look at the data, not my opinions, if you look at the actual data, gold is not that great of an inflation hedge. Turns out stocks are much better, but even better than stocks is the real estate asset class. REITs in particular do very well in environments where either there is inflation or elevated expectations for inflation are, are starting to press on yeah. uh, prices in the real economy. That's what works, and it worked again this year. It's not that hard to figure out that real estate companies have the ability to raise your rent and then pay out those increased payments in the form of a dividend uh, or a distribution. And that's what we're seeing. And, you know, it, it didn't it didn't take a, a wizard to figure out that that could be the case. And it ended up happening. So congratulations to people who yeah. have been long REITs. You're doing very well this year. Yeah. And they're getting that dividend payout or that distribution payout as well, Josh, to your point. All right, Digas, now to you. I know you own Home Depot, which is kind of a real estate play. But more importantly, you own NVR Homes. We talk about Lennar all the time, Toll Brothers, Pulte. What makes NVR so special to you? Well, um, Scott Sully, the, what makes NVR so special 
is the way they have established their CEO compensation to be tied in with the investor. They really focus on return on invested capital. And if you look at NVR, when you compare them to the other builders, they're actually in the top as it relates to return on invested capital. And this is actually a, a value ge generator. So we really like NVR, and they are hands down been in the top 10 for returns for almost 20 years. And so this is a long-term play. They're building long-term value for their investors. And so that's why we really like NVR. Yeah, and they've also got, they're based in Ruston, Virginia, Digas. They've got, they, they're, in, they're building homes in the spots that are growing as well. But going back to that distribution, when you look to buy a REIT, which are different. I mean, we, we always lump them in, but they're different financial structure than a straight-up equity or a stock. How much does that distribution yield mean to you, if at all, or is it just kind of a cherry on top? Yeah, it's very important because one of the uh, REITs that we own is Cup Smart, And Cup Smart is focused on self-storage. It is one of the best real estate plays because ultimately they just need uh, land, warehouses, and ultimately you self-manage uh, your, uh, your storage. And, so, and also, CupSmart pays out almost a 3% dividend yield. So that yield is very important as it relates to the real estate. And that's why REITs have been doing so well uh, this uh, particular market cycle. All right, hey, hey, Sally, All right. can well, I add one thing to that? What else has done well? Yeah, jump in. Just, just, this is really important. This is really important. It's the kind of information that viewers typically aren't getting from financial television, but makes a huge difference to net returns. If you're buying REITs for your own portfolio, understand that if you're a high net worth investor, the distributions, you're going to be taxed at, at ordinary income, which is not ideal. So what you want to do is try to buy these things in tax deferred accounts if possible. So like an IRA, for example. Uh, and that's where I tend to buy REITs for myself. And the other thing that you want, so, so right off the bat, I'm removing that, that high tax rate on the income because it's not dividends. It's, it's a distribution. So it's not taxed at the dividend rate. The second thing that's really important is to reinvest those dividends. Like if you're not living off of your portfolio currently. Um, and when you do that automatic reinvestment, every quarter when they pay out, you're owning more shares. Sometimes yeah. you'll buy up, but sometimes you'll buy down. And when you look at returns, long-term returns on REITs, you always want to think about it as a total return vehicle and what would happen if I automatically reinvested those dividends and didn't pay taxes on the distributions because I own it in an IRA. So that's, that's, the, that's asset location, different than asset allocation. And this is the kind of work that financial advisors do with clients to make sure they maximize that opportunity. Yeah, good point. So much about taxes and where you get lumped in, all what, you know, 37 or 39.6% well, plus state. You can't eat pre-tax returns. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good point there. Tax strategy, key to a lot of stuff. All right. Let's move on from real estate to financials. After a strong month for the financials, banks are now the worst performing sector this week. It's only been a week, but still, they've struggled just a bit. Jim Labenthal, will go to you because I know you love J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Does the performance this week make you change your mind at all? 
Um, not at all. And, and you alluded to it. One week is, is meaningless in the time horizon of a, of a long-term investor. I don't, I'm not even sure I can tell you why this week is bad. Is because the 10 years back below 130? If that is the reason, I would say that is absolutely looking at the wrong playing field. Um, this is not necessarily an interest rate story. Yeah, it'd be nice if interest rates go higher, and I suspect they will. But what's more important here is that loan losses are going way down as people uh, regain their jobs. You've got an expanding economy, which is increasing loan demand, both at uh, commercial and industrial, as well as on the consumer side. And let me let me parse that a little bit more finely. In the last 18 months, you've had so much fiscal stimulus that it's basically the government has refinanced consumers' credit card debt. Well, that game's over. Credit card debt is going to start going higher. That's good for the <coughs> banks. These banks are buying back shares, uh, in some cases, like at Citigroup, well below book value, which is immediately accretive on the balance sheet. So don't be thrown by one week's return this is absolutely a place to be over the next year yeah i, I tiffany though i he making good points but i know you like like a lot of them bank of america as well but when i hear credit card balances are going up and that's good for the banks forgive me for making being a little bit nervous about the, the american household balance sheet that said you are not nervous about these financials you are still long and strong I am. And, I, and I'm not nervous about the American household balance sheet because savings are strong and, and wages are increasing. Um, and in saying that, uh, Bank of America is a smaller position for us. Um, you know, and just a, a quick note, like this is part of this rotational leadership that we've seen all year. Right. And this is characteristic of kind of like the earlier stage stages of the expansion in, in the in the economic cycle. Um, so what I do like um, about J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs is their diversified revenue. And that's done well for them through the pandemic. Um, and these are staples for us. Uh, but I also like the, f the smaller kind of financial advisory firms like a Houlihan Loki, right, which is up over 35 percent this year. But what I'm really excited about, too, and I love tech is fintech, right? I think fintech companies are putting traditional financials on notice. Um, love Square. I own Square. PayPal own that. And also Robinhood. Um, and for all of the all of the um, sometimes controversial talk about Robinhood, if you've ever, I don't know if, you know, how many of us on here, because we are professionals, actually have a Robinhood account and how easy it is to buy a stock, to learn about a stock in very, very little time. It's, it's totally different than if someone were a client of ours. Um, so it's, I'm just really excited about that opportunity as well. Yeah, Robinhood Market's up 1% right now today. Uh, Pete, I know you own a bunch of the, the call side. Do you own any of the equities in the financials? Yeah, I do, Sully. I've got, I've got a few of the names on. I've got Wells Fargo. I've got Bank of America. But I also like to sometimes double up where in Bank of America, as a matter of fact, I've got multiple different long calls positions on that stock looking for a, a pretty sharp move, hopefully, in the relative near term. So that's something as well. I do, I do that oftentimes as well, Fargo as well. But Morgan Stanley's been an absolute monster for us and that on the call side. And, and uh, there's a, everybody already covered all the different reasons why the banks are very exciting right now. But let's also consider that those investment banks, I think when you look at trading volumes, I brought that up to you the other day on Tuesday. The volumes are extreme. They're, they're absolutely growing each and every day, each and every week, each and every year. And that's something I think that has to be held a, a, account because that is something huge for many of these various quote unquote banks or investment banks, really. And I think that's something, Sully, that oftentimes is overlooked. But that 
that is a part of what they're doing. That is a part of what we're seeing. And one of the reasons why I think we are seeing a lot of these names with a lot of room okay. to the upside still on the breakout. And they're inexpensive when you look at book, where they're trading versus book, except for J.P. Morgan. Many of these names are still very inexpensive from that metric. So that's why I continue to be really bullish. Okay, good. Let's move on, guys. And I won't call it a breakout, but I might call it a comeback. Small caps. Look at the Russell 2000 today, by the way. It's up 1%, best performing major index. It's up 4% in the past week. Jim Labenthal, it had been red hot earlier on the year. Then it collapsed. Everybody said, well, the small cap run is done. It looks like some new signs of life, even as, by the way, Morgan Stanley taking down their U.S. GDP estimate today. What's your take on small caps as a group? At the risk of oversimplifying, I think what you're seeing here is a resurgence, not in the Delta variant of COVID, but a resurgence in the reopening trade. And this may be too broad of a brushstroke, but I do lump small caps in there with cyclicals. You know, if you're talking about energy or as we were just talking about financials or any of the travel and leisure stocks, this is basically a sector of the market that as it looks like the Delta variant is peaking, at least here in, in the U.S., possibly abroad too, uh, that you're seeing some enthusiasm come back to the idea that the global economy is reopening uh, and with it cyclical companies which populate a lot of the small cap area. Um, also another way of putting this is that as fears at least on the margin subside about the Delta variant, risk appetite is picking up and people are saying we're going to get the biggest bang for the buck. That's always small caps. I agree with this by the way. I think we're early in an economic expansion. I've said that. That does favor small caps. I think when we look back on this year, we will see that the last four months just looks like a consolidation in an otherwise upward trend in small caps. Yeah, Degas, you got to write uh, a read on, on the small caps. And I know we're, there's 2,000 or so stocks in that index. We're lumping a bunch of stuff together. But really, it is kind of a macro cyclical trade on the American economy. Most of the companies in the Russell 2000 get 100%, which is all of their sales, from the domestic United States. Exactly, and that's why the small caps are doing well because as the economy reopens, as the economy really starts to grow, that benefits the small companies. Also, small companies have lower debt levels, so they're more nimble. And as you start looking at what type names are doing well, if you have a name, a small cap name that is actually in the infrastructure space, you can start looking at different themes, small cap theme, also infrastructure. Mestech is a company that is doing really well because small, $6 billion, but also in the infrastructure space and in construction. So, Sully, what you want to start doing now is looking at overall themes. Small cap infrastructure is a good theme to go forward with. Yeah, infrastructure, Josh, you've talked about that as well. And and you mentioned that you thought that, that uh, ChargePoint was kind of more of an infrastructure play as well. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the infrastructure bill. Got to get through the House. No small feat. Looks like something that will get done. Any other thoughts on that or small caps? The only thing I want to say on the subject of small caps is we've had uh, technicians on the show uh, over the last few weeks who have told us that the declining, uh, the advanced decline uh, and, and the poor showing for the Russell and for small caps could be a canary in the coal mine and could mean that there is an imminent market pullback and you have less companies making new highs, et cetera. And I thought it sounded like a loser of a call then. I said it on the show. 
the, uh, judge isn't here, uh, but we talked at length about that. And now you have the Russell 2000 breaking out hard. And all of those um, divergences that people obsess over now have been resolved to the upside, as has happened so many times over the last 12 years, I can't even count. So when you're hearing about whether or not small caps are doing well, just understand we're talking about like $3 trillion, the, the whole asset class, the Russell 2000. That's like Apple plus a quarter of Google. It really isn't that important. <laughs> it's not a canary in the coal mine. The divergences aren't a good market signal for timing. And a lot of the divergences have resolved to the upside. Let, I'll let you know when they don't. But that's what's happening today. Um, the transports are firming up at the same time. XHB firming up. IPO ETF is breaking out. A lot of the things that we were worried about are resolving to the upside. Yeah. And that's been the story of this bull market since I were, was, was a very young man in my early 30s. I was like two weeks ago, Josh. Oh, good. I mean, Tom Lee watched me grow up on this show in in the same bull market, and every time we talk about the the the, the small caps being a signal, signal for what? Your own ignorance of market history? Like, what what is it signaling to you? What do you want to do about it? So now they're now they're breaking out. But you want your small caps, just like you, Josh. We want our small caps to grow up. They grow up to be mid-caps. They grow up to be big caps. That means they're making investors money. <laughs> Even Bobby right, Brady sure. moved out of the house at one point, I think. <laughs> All right, up next, a follow-up to the top of our show yesterday. Netflix getting even more love from the street. That is next than your call today. And for Pete's sake or anybody's sake, if you haven't already, download the CNBC app. Seriously. Stop nagging you about it. All the markets are up. It's an everything rally. Green everywhere. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden says that there is still much to be done to help Louisiana and other areas hammered by Hurricane Ida. He says that 6,000 National Guard members have been activated across the southeast. He has also directed the energy secretary to use the strategic petroleum reserve to make sure that gasoline keeps flowing to stations and that shortages are minimized. And on the news, recovery efforts from the Gulf Coast to New England. What's working and where more resources are needed? That's tonight at 7 Eastern. President Biden also slamming the Supreme Court's decision to leave a new Texas abortion law in effect. He says that the high court's ruling insults the rule of law and that his administration will seek ways to protect access to the procedure in Texas. 
And in California, better weather is helping firefighters battle the Calder wildfire. The blaze now growing to more than 210,000 acres, although containment is now up to 25%. You're now up to date, Brian. I'll send it back to you. Yeah, we need to send some of the rain that we had here, Rahel, out west to Washington State and California. Help out those hardworking firefighters. Thank you very much. All right, well, shares of Netflix hitting another new all-time high today. The first new high since January. Now, if you watched yesterday's show, and I know you did, Joe Terranova announced at the top of the show that he bought it. Well, today, Citigroup, maybe because of Joe's move, who knows, is raising its price target to five ninety-five. It is one of your calls of the day. Tiffany Diggis, you both own it. Pete, but we'll start with you. You just bought some calls, I think, today or like a couple of hours ago. Yeah, a couple hours ago, Sully. It's really interesting because this is a name that since it was 529, we started to see very bullish activity flowing into this name. So this has been a great run for a while. Those expired. Now, all of a sudden, today, we get this buyer of the 600 strike calls. I jumped on those calls. It's got to make a move in a very short period of time. But that's what Netflix does. It moves very rapidly. So I'd rather be in the calls right now just because I know the performance in the last couple of weeks has been absolutely incredible. I think if you're ultra long term, sure, I think there is more because of the pricing power. But I really do want to continue to follow along with these options. They have been dead on, Sully, for the last couple of weeks as the stock has been making this unbelievable rise. Yeah, and Digas as well. You own it. You've owned it for a while. I assume this is going to be a core holding, or are you waiting for something maybe to, to cash out on? No, this is a core holding because what we're seeing is that one subscriber-based growth. Also, something that a lot of the other uh, competitors may not have is the content providing. So they can provide content. And lastly, the international growth. That is very strong, particularly in Asia-Pacific. So we see this as a great opportunity. Netflix has been underperforming our expectations, but now we're seeing it go to the upside. So this is definitely one that we will hold. Hey, Sully, yeah, Tiff, your quick take on Netflix. Really quickly? Yep, yep. yep. To, to Degas's point, so, so streaming, in terms of runway, streaming penetration worldwide is 26%, and Netflix only has 7% of that. So there's so much runway for them to grow. And there are over 800,000 paid TV subscribers, excuse me, households in the country. And then, of course, their investment in gaming. And they have this edge where, again, their content, they can make games off of that. Um, they have a built-in audience. And they don't have to charge a separate fee for, for, in, uh, for in-app gaming as well. Okay. Thank you very much on Netflix. All right. Meantime, check out this mystery chart. It is a stay-at-home stock. That has shot up 45% in three months. It was stay at home, so it was hot, cooled off, now 45%. But who is this mystery stay at home stock? Well, we're going to let you know. We'll debate it and see if there's still time to put some of your money in ahead of their earnings tonight. That's a clue. We're back right after this on halftime. About a third of global executives plan to invest more than 10% of company revenues on ESG initiatives over the next three years. That's according to KPMG's 2021 CEO Outlook study released Wednesday. The business leader said climate change was the biggest threat to growth in the coming years, matching cybersecurity and supply chain concerns. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, shares of DocuSign pulling back today, but that is your mystery chart, surging 45% over the last three months. Let's get the trade now on this stay-at-home play, or maybe not, ahead of its earnings. Tiffany Ona, I don't want to call it a stay-at-home stock because maybe the way that we just do business with DocuSign has changed wherever we are. I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, you can just look at our industry, yeah. right? And so what it took um, even kind of like pre-pandemic to open up accounts and, you know, some, uh, some um, uh, financial advisory firms did not want you to do that um, with a e-signature, right? And so the pandemic really kind of pushed us all into this world. We have to do everything remotely. And so DocuSign is really is, is positioned well to do this. Um, I, they are doing amazingly well. Um, I see the growth continuing, and thank goodness, because I don't want to go back to a time where, you know, I had to uh, print stuff out and, <laughs> and, uh, and have people sign it. So, I know one thing about the halftime shows, I noticed they, they make you print out a lot at, at the stay at home. So, uh, Josh Brown, uh, a take on, any take on DocuSign and or other companies that are stuck in the past, like my paper? <laughs> Look. I think the future is bright for for all of these software platforms and tools, and we use tons of them in our business. But again, I've said this about a lot of stocks. I think the hard part is going to be the comps. It's really, really tough to uh, match the amount of enthusiasm for these services and new client additions from 2020. And we're seeing that from from all these companies. But the comps will not be that tough forever. And so if some of these stocks get hit hard, because people are short-sighted and you want to buy them, maybe that's the opportunity. Uh, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of uh, these names right now. I've been in and out of a bunch of them like Zoom and, and Teladoc, yeah. but at the current moment, I'm, I'm just not there. Okay. More into the real estate these days as well. Pete, Pete any take on, say, DocuSign or, or, a, or a name like that, that we called them a stay-at-home stock because it was easy and kind of convenient, right. but now the... Nobody yeah, wants to go into office, not because of COVID, just because nobody wants to go into office to sign 50 documents for an hour. <laughs> yeah, and DocuSign is the one that I think does make the most sense. But I think there are names on that list, Sally. When I look at Peloton, I caught a lot of flack from a lot of people about this one. And they say, oh, why are you so bearish on this stock? And the reason I, I have been is the idea that this thing absolutely screamed to the upside. And at some point in time, people will resume going to gyms. They already have. And as that trend comes back and people are socializing and rather than just being at home, I think that's one of those names where I look at where it is on a P.E. level and the money that the cash flows that they've got and everything else. I think that there's a lot of different roadblocks in front of them going forward. And forget the comps. I just don't see the potential for the growth 
if the if the gyms are open, if if people are wanting to socialize like I believe that they want to do, I think there are better opportunities out there. So I just think that some of these names are, yeah. are way in front of themselves. But I look at something like DocuSign. It's a great company, and I think that's going to be with us forever. A uh, buddy of mine owns a, a gym called Bash in Northern Virginia. He says, just packed. Gym near me is packed. Jim, do you have yeah, a take? Mine's packed. Well, I'm pretty much going to echo what everybody else has said. I've already said twice on this show that I think the reopening play is the one to be in right now. I've said that with regards to small caps and with regards to financials. So along that line, I'm not really interested in any of the stay-at-home stocks. I do have to say DocuSign is not a stay-at-home stock to me. This is a future of business. But look, I do look at price. I know... I know there are people who don't really care about price or they see a stock that's going up and even if expensive, they want to add to it. Uh, That's not my game. If it's your game, fine. I look at 150 times forward earnings on DocuSign uh, and a lack of catalysts going forward. And I just say, you know what? Not not for me. Okay, good stuff there on DocuSign. Agreed. Maybe not a stay at home stock, just the, the way things have changed. All right, stay with us here on Halftime because Pete has his latest trades and unusual activity coming up next on Halftime. We are seeing markets green across the board. Every major index is up. Most of them are at record highs. We're glad you're with us, and we're back right after this. All right, time now for unusual activity. We usually do this. Pete, what are you seeing? I'm going to start off with Unity Software, and this one's an interesting one, Sully, because Gene Munster has been all over this name. Back when this stock was well underneath 100, Gene was talking about this stock and very bullish on it. Well, it's been screaming to the upside. It's just underneath 132 at the time where we'd seen some call buying. They're buying September the 135 strike calls. They bought about 3,000 of those for call it around $3. They also bought 5,000 of the September 150 calls, and those were going for about 50 cents. So very aggressive positioning here for the stock over the next month to make a really big power move to the upside. My next one is Lucid Lucid Group. Now, this one's interesting because we started off the show talking about the EV space. This is another one with EV uh, technology. So it's a stock that was trading just beneath uh, 19 bucks, and we have a pretty solid buyer, 15,000 of the September tomorrow expiring 20 calls. So really short term, but somebody thinking that this is a stock that make a big, huge move in a short period of time. Just yesterday they were buying the 17s. Those are well into the money now. Now they're coming after the 20s. So we'll see if that actually happens. But very aggressive, monstrous buying in this name as well. Well, hopefully you'll make some money. If you want to buy the Lucid Air Dream Edition for $170,000, maybe buy some of those calls and print some profit. All right, Pete, thank you very much. All right, up next, the committee is ready to answer your questions. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com, and we are back right after this. All right, time now for the Investment Committee to answer some of your questions. Everybody ready? Let's go. First up, Bill down in Georgia asks, what are your feelings about NXPI, Jim? Is it a buy, sell, or hold? 
Yeah, this is definitely a buy here. Um, I would have said that even before this week's decline, which is apparently based on some large insider sales. I don't pay too much attention to that. Um, however, what you've got here is a company that has about half of its business supplying automotive chips. We know those are in high demand. Prices are high. We know that demand for autos is pent up, so the good business for NXPI should continue for the coming quarters, plural, well into 2022. Uh, this is an excellent semiconductor. Uh, company to own right now. Okay, next up, Sammy in Massachusetts asks Degas, all right, I've been holding PWR, Quanta Services, big infrastructure play, since December of 2020, I've had great returns. Should I hold or trim power at this level, Degas? Well, we will definitely hold it because what, what you're seeing today uh, is that uh, Quanta Services announced the acquisition of Batner Holdings. At for about 2.7 billion, that will be a creed of something Pete was talking about instantly onto their balance sheet. So we really like uh, Quantum's uh, power at this level, and so we would hold it and get ready for the ride because it's up very strong today. All right, for Tiffany now, Cynthia in Pennsylvania wants to know: Is Shopify overpriced? So I guess it depends on who you talk to. Um, so they had a strong uh, last quarter. You know, growth overall for them has been really strong. Revenue in the previous quarter was up 57% from the year before. Also, their repeat revenue was up over 60, 60% from, from the year before. Um, they're adding new merchants every day. And they just really have this turnkey solution for web design, even kind of integrating pictures for, for businesses, it just makes it really, really easy. So I definitely see some growth um, there. They, they're also integrating with Facebook and then also doing a partnership with TikTok. So um, if you own it, I would hold it, um, but I would look to buy on the dip here, but I, de I definitely see good things going forward. All right, and Brian in Illinois writing in for Josh. Any new thoughts on Uber? This was everyone's reopened darling and has now turned into Lazarus. Nice reference there, Brian. Josh, what do you think? Uh, I don't think there's anything new. They had a great earnings report. The stock's, stock's acting okay. I'm not sure about Lazarus. Um, I'm, I'm long as an investment. I've been for a while. I, I got a chance to buy some really cheap stock during the height of the pandemic last year. Uh, so I, I think on an average cost basis, I'm doing okay. But I think the best is yet to come. So I think it is a long-term story, and, and I would stick with it. Okay. Thank you all very much. Final Trades are up next on Half Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. All right, final trade time. Pete, I want to kick it off. And also, do the Golden Gophers cover on the Buckeyes at 13 and a half tonight? We're going to cover. I think we got a chance to win if we don't turn the ball over. Uh, my final trade is going to be SoFi. I love this name, and the name is sitting on its lows. We just had some call buying come in there. I grabbed the 15 and a half calls. Wow, Jim. Yes, yeah, Sully, this might be in honor of you. Uh, Transocean, I took a trading position in this a couple of weeks ago. This is probably the highest beta to oil name that you can yeah. find. Oil above $70, all it needs to do is stay here, and some of those rigs are going to come out of cold stack. You're going to see day rates go up. Okay. Uh, this is the best way to play oil, staying where it is. Degas? Degas. A, B, and B, a Swiss 
a Switzerland-based technology company focused on robotics and automation solutions with a 2% dividend yield. Josh? Don't tell anybody this, but very quietly, Matterport is up about 12% in the last week. I don't know what's going on. A lot of news being announced. Very exciting situation. Very exciting. Tiffany, your final trade. Far, Farfetch. They own luxury retail. That's it. I'm quick. That's it. They own it. All right, guys, some really new and interesting picks on final trades. Appreciate it all. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for watching Halftime. We'll see you tomorrow. The exchange begins now with markets at record highs. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.